Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me, as always, my co-host Jacinta Gavind. We are live today from the FIBA Women's Basketball World Cup. And joining us, it's Megan Husswait. Megan, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Hello, guys. It's great to be here with you for this live pod on the ground. Yeah, on the ground. <laughs> it's been a pretty amazing week. I mean, there's been so much activity going on, so much basketball, catching up with so many people in real life. Um, <laughs> It's been pretty awesome. How about you, Jacinta? How have you found it? It's been a whole another world. Um, I haven't thought about, because I'm on two weeks annual leave, so I can immerse myself in the tournament wholeheartedly. And I haven't thought about my regular life. I've missed three family birthdays and almost <laughs> forgot to ring them because I didn't know what day it was. So I feel like I'm living in the ultimate fantasy land and um, it's going to be a hard come down when I go home. <laughs> And how about you, Megan? How have you found it? I mean, it's been pretty awesome. Yeah, it's been amazing. I agree with Jacinta. It's sort of like a Disneyland of basketball. And I feel like it's also that period between Christmas and New Year where you know the date. So you know it's December 28, but it could be a Monday or it could be a Saturday. It could be day two or it could be day seven. Um, So, yeah, it's just this crazy world of wonderfulness. Yeah, it, it actually, it's a bit of a real blur. I, mean, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, what day is it today? Yeah. What, what do I have to do? And um, it's just been, but it's been good constant stuff, you know? Um, I know we also, at the beginning of the, the, of the week, we had, the, um, we had a pickup game. And there were a lot of people who showed up for that. Um, a, lot of, a lot of fans of the pod who we met in real life for the first time from interstate. It's been pretty amazing. And overseas. And um, overseas, yeah. Kaz. Yeah, yeah, Kaz from the Kaz and Daz show yep. that cover the WBBL. Um, Kaz has come from the UK. She yeah. came to our pickup game. And you say last week was the pickup game. And li- but listen, in my mind, given the, the <laughs> life we've been living the last week, I reckon it was a month ago. Yeah, it feels <laughs> yeah, that way that a bit. pickup game, <laughs> even though it was only on Saturday. Um, yeah, no, it was really special to have. Uh, I mean, I guess us being the commonality between everyone that participated. Um, so it was really special that we're yeah. able to facilitate more contact with like-minded people who follow women's basketball, support women's basketball, bring them, you know, all of our internet friends, as I refer them to, and bring them into the real world. And, and then now they've gone and made their own connections as well. Yeah, it's been great. So, Megan, I know this is, this is like one of those put-you-on-the-spot type questions, but what has been the one standout moment of the World Cup for you so far? I think for me, the um, all-in team matcher of the Opals on court, but also off court, because I think one of the huge highlights for me has been seeing so many former players, and I know Jacinta posted about it today and and did a really good caption about um, some of the, the former players she was able to um, connect with during the week and you know looking um, on sort of the sidelines court side last night at really who's who across different decades Mm. and generations and the emotion that um, they're feeling watching these current Opals I think there's a real connection between this group and the women that came before them but also I think that that real teamness has been a real attraction for viewers. So not just the rusted on basketball folk, but a lot of 
um, people that have jumped on over the last week and really followed the journey of this tournament. So mm. for me, that's really stood out and I guess it's amplified being a home soil tournament. Yeah, I, actually I saw something on Twitter around that point where somebody today said, um, isn't this great? I've been. How great is women's basketball? How great is this World Cup? Is there any other sport on it going on at the moment? I don't think so. And I just thought to myself, that's awesome. Yeah. Right for every and for every one of those people who put it out on Twitter, there's going to be another twenty who don't, but they feel exactly the same. Especially that game, that uh, Opals Canada game. So many people were that. That was a real roller coaster. That game, but from a fan perspective and the, a fan of the the game itself, you know, taking away our legacy to the Opals. So many people coming out online saying how that was one of the best games of basketball that they've possibly ever seen. Yeah. And for that to be involved with the Opals on home soil at, on the world stage, that I thought that was really, really special. So hopefully the, the importance and the value of the women's games making a wider impact while we have the World Cup here. But I wanted to touch on as well, you mentioned the emotion um, that you have witnessed between the past and present Opals players, especially because there was the Opals reunion lunch that you did an excellent job of emceeing. You had a back-to-back emceeing job (laughs) that day. That was a heavy day. Um, And you got to, you had the privilege of announcing that the 2006 Opals were inducted into the Basketball Australia Hall of Fame. What was going through your head knowing that you were going to present that information and probably knowing the emotional response that was going to happen after yeah. you delivered it. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, I was asked a, a few months ago now um, to host the reunion, which was you know, a real privilege when um, that many past players are involved and um, you know, they'd like you to do it. That's, that's really lovely. So I was really looking forward to it. And in terms of the 2006 team... Um, their, that announcement around them joining the, whole, the Australian Basketball Hall of Fame at the next um, ceremony intake has come about in the last few weeks. Um, so, look, we were mindful that there were going to be three players that weren't there. Um, I hosted the Hall of Fame for um, Australian Basketball uh, back in... May or June and Penny Taylor was inducted to that and she, she was overseas so um, I'd been in touch with her about that to try and just bring her into that ceremony and again um, have been back in contact with her around this because I just wanted her to still feel involved um, being over in the US so um, it was on the morning I'd been sort of thinking about how, how we were going to do it and we were going to announce that they were being inducted as, as everyone was just sitting at the tables um, and I said to Marion Stewart, who um, legendary team manageress of, of the Opals for many years who really organised this function, I said to her on the morning, I'd, I'd really like to get um, the team up on stage and um, acknowledge them and then announce it so the room can see their emotion. A few people knew, um, but but most of them weren't aware. And um, I, knew, I knew Christy Harrow would would cry so that was good because I knew for sure I've got one that's going to show a lot of emotion so um yeah I'd made the little 2006 video with a sort of highlight of pictures and um the scripts hall of fame song um so I thought okay I will play that video and I'll call them up one by one and and it was amazing just the round of applause for every player that was called up and um and then it was nice to see the video of of where we announced it because obviously I couldn't see their reaction because they were behind me so um yeah just the the applause they got in the room that day um was was a real standout 
it was very special. And prior to that, we had a special event that you emceed as well, which was the female, the Women's Leadership Forum uh, for basketball. Tell us about that and, and how you were involved in, in the running of that and the setting up and because there were a lot of amazing guests. Oh, yeah, that was incredible, wasn't it? Just And, and you guys were obviously all there, which was fantastic. I think the, um, you know, we talk about it being a once-in-a-generation in a tournament on home soil and I think, you know, the two um, functions we're talking about now are sort of really once-in-a-generation opportunities to have those events. So I was blown away as um, as you know, Basketball New South Wales was updating me on the panels and the guest speakers in the keynotes. Like the calibre of people in that room, the vast experience, the international experience across administration, um, various leadership positions, coaching, playing, um, was was incredible. And and look, I was I was very lucky because I just sort of joined a few dots together and I got to really, you know, sit, sit down and listen to a lot of it as well. And... Um, yeah, I think you sort of just sit there and take it in and think, wow, like this is this is a big deal. Um, and um, I think things like that ensure that there is a legacy beyond this tournament, beyond the baseline, I guess, you know, that's that extends beyond the actual on-court product of, of the games and the tournament. Yeah, I've got to agree. And I think, and I'm pretty sure, Jacinta, you, you'd agree with me on this one, um, the plans that FIBA had and that they they outlined for women's basketball at that event were really astounding. And, I mean, we got a taste of, of some of it when we spoke with Lena um, a few episodes ago, but that expanded it so much more. Yeah, it was, um, it was really an excellent event. And I've been to a few seminars, workshop conferences, that kind of thing. And um, it was, I'm glad it was only half a day, but it was a quality half a day. I think, like you said, I really liked how you phrased it beyond the baseline because it just shows how much other work um, and other gears that are turning in the background to try and make the women's game really at the forefront as, as much as possible. But yeah, every angle of the game that you wouldn't kind of necessarily think of day to day um, but some of the plans, yeah, that you mentioned, Paul, that FIBA are going to put in place. So I think Carol and Lena spoke first and they're both, mm. you know, working quite high up in FIBA. And something that I noted down was that the next uh, FIBA Women's Basketball World Cup will go back to a 16-team format. Yep. But the other thing I really liked is that they're also going to have a separate tournament or, or cup, so, you know, per se, of the next 16 teams. So perhaps, you know, the top 16 teams that qualified with the usual pathways of the five quali- uh, qualifying tournaments around the world, but then the next 16 teams from that will have their own tournament. So I think being able to expose more teams and, and basketball nations to a, a more highly competitive game on the world stage is going to overall, you know, for the greater good, benefit the game as a whole. So that, that really, really excited me as well. Mm, it did. And I think also that whole concept of bringing in those, those teams and those countries who you know, obviously can't mix it up with the top 16, but having an opportunity to be able to play in tournaments, be able to get that experience and be able to build their, their experience to a point where you know, they could challenge into that top 16. Mm, definitely. Yeah, I think we've even seen that with Mali coming into you know, this tournament and probably Puerto Rico as well, um, that they didn't qualify originally, but um, there was a, a position 
um, become available in each pool and so they were elevated into that spot. So I think, um, you know, results are really regard, um, really don't matter for a tournament, tournament like this when they've had the experience of, I guess, going through the qualifying process, not qualifying, then having to prepare having got the call up and and come out here and go through all the protocols and just get a really good idea of what it takes what's required and I think that can only be a good thing for them going back to their countries and preparing for whatever comes next in terms of their their big international competition yeah it's um and it's a shame in some respects that those teams didn't because they were elevated you could see the 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 differential in the gameplay between them and the, the, the other teams. But I think they're going to go away and be able to build on that and get stronger, uh, particularly Puerto Rico, because while Puerto Rico... I mean, they, they qualified for the Olympics, so they're kind of on the cusp of being able to make it into that group. And I think, if anything, Puerto Rico probably needs more consistency rather than, than anything else at this stage, because when they play really well, they're really good to watch. But then they just they just don't seem to be able to keep it together for any length of time. Yeah, and I think teams like Mali and Puerto Rico are unfortunately can be a reflection of how much governments and money um, can really play a big part in your team successes. So I think the running story of for the Puerto Rican team this week is how um, you know they got the second chance, they took the most of the opportunity to come, mm. and their government really you know wanted them to come and, and foot. A lot of the bill, but then in the meantime at home, um, you know, things are a bit of a struggle. A lot of their facilities and resources were um, kind of wiped out by natural disaster. So it is still a heroic story that they are Ooh. here and representing, knowing that how much their home, home country has sacrificed for them to be here. But that's, again, the power of basketball, isn't it? Trying to bring everyone together and being able to have a national team that might provide some hope or something good for um, it, it, your family and friends at home that might be having a little bit of hardship. Um, yeah. So those kind of stories. And the Marley team as well, I only learnt yesterday, we had the opportunity to talk to some of the athletes yesterday from the Marley team before they flew home. Oh. Um, and when I say flew home, some were flying back to Paris and for some were flying back to somewhere in Spain because they don't in fa- a lot of them don't in fact live in Marley and play in Marley together. They're all in playing and living in Europe. And the athlete from the team, uh, Hadara, number 10, I've kind of tracked her over the year when I was watching and commentating the under-17 World Cup and the under-18 FIBA Africa qualifiers. So she's only just 18. This is her third FIBA tournament that she's competed in this year. And she's been living in Spain the last four years, going to school and, and playing basketball. So she moved to Spain when she was 14, to pursue this pathway in basketball. Like, that, those are the kinds of stories you just yeah. don't hear enough about. So um, I guess that's kind of been a bit of a highlight of the tournament too, yeah, just learning some of those things. Uh, th- 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 that is an amazing story. I, I didn't realise that, you know, she had to move at 14. Mm. You know, and it kind of makes you realise what that, that there's so much talent in Africa particularly and unfortunately, they don't get the opportunities that they probably deserve in their own countries. They actually have to go overseas to get those opportunities. 
Yeah, but uh, like in the, you know the times I was commentating the Africa Championships this year in particular, trying to do as much research on those players as I can. Not a lot out there. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of uh, you know. There's no Wikipedia page. Someone recommended I find them on on Instagram or Twitter or some social media platform, and that's even hard to do. So these are the kinds of stories and inside information you'll never know unless you have the opportunity to meet the people and and kind of like live the experience side by side when you're at a World Cup with with um with the players. So mm, I think I was talking to Gazy the other day about something similar where he's like, I don't know a lot about these players, but it's like... Or maybe I was talking to Laurie Chiswick because she's mm. commentating for FIBA for the first time at this tournament and she was telling me how different it is compared to commentating, say, WNBL. And she's like, I just don't feel like I know enough about the players that I could speak, you know, more about them when I'm commentating, like speak more genuinely. And I'm like, well, we haven't, you haven't lived the experience of being able to watch them on the floor yeah. or chat, chat to the team directly to know all that background information. So... That was the value of the World Cup, having that opportunity mm. to learn people's stories. Yeah, and there are like there are so many teams that are here that have there's there's a bunch of headline players that we all know, and then there's a whole bunch of other players on the teams that we're not really across their skill set, their playing abilities. Not because we don't want to know, but as you said, that information is just not out there. And it's it's one of the areas that I think, hopefully, you know, with Google coming on board um, as a sponsor for for FIBA, um, that they'll be able to try and assist to get those stories up there um, and promote them, so that there's more there's more activity around around the women's game. Um, and let's I want to I want to actually talk just a little bit about the Opals for a second because I think one of the things that, that's really impressed me with the team has been the fact that they didn't have a great start, they've come back and we're seeing that, to me, we're seeing that Opal's um, legacy and the Opal's um, character that Timsey talked about when the first time we had her on the pod do you think that's that's a fair comment that that this team is really starting to gel around those those opals values i think so yeah from what i've seen so far like megan touched on before on and off the court Mm. i feel like they are um yeah definitely demonstrating the opals legacy and those uh seven non-negotiables that timsey spoke about in the previous pod that uh, i spoke to robin Marr about at the opals reunion and she tried to t- quiz me if i remembered all seven and i didn't <laughs> uh, <so> I <laughs> should have done my homework before i went um but i certainly think so especially after the shaky start Look, that, that first game against France, there was a lot of PTSD moments where I was like, this is Tokyo again, all of our layups are missing, or oh, we should have won that game. But I think they've done a really good job, and especially Sandy has done a really good job of uh, adapting very quickly yep. to our opponents, making a lot of quick changes in her lineups and her coach and what she's implementing as a coach. Um, and I feel like the Opals are sticking together, and that you can tell that they're focused on sticking to the game plan. There's mm. no egos in the team. There's no one out there playing for themselves and you can tell that they're all playing for each other. What do, yeah. what do, what mm. do you reckon, Megan? Because you 
Uh, I shouldn't say reckon. How do you feel about it, Megan? <laughs> well, I reckon. <laughs> um, I think it's probably been Sandy Brondolo's best coaching performances. Um, head coach of the Opals um, and in saying that they won a, a you know a silver medal at the last World Cup in Spain in 2018 so that could be equaled or bettered in this tournament but for me um, yeah obviously it was a, a disappointing first night against France but it sort of stung us into action um, I think I really liked when Mariana Tolo started um, on Sunday against Serbia. For me, it showed that we were willing to make adjustments and we weren't sort of set in our ways regardless of what was going on around us, which I don't think you can do in tournament play. So, um, you know, and then we've seen, um, obviously, Sarah Blitzarves has got to start because Beck Allen was unfortunately injured. Um, and then, you know, Kayla's come off the bench in the last two games and really packed a punch. Ezzy came off the bench and did did a similar thing. Really, everyone's played their role. I know you talk about that, and I think sometimes you talk about culture and um, the team and, you know, playing the role for the team. But I think this tournament, the Opals have actually walked the walk, where in past years I think there's been talk about culture and the culture's great and blah, 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 and history tells us it wasn't. So um, I've been impressed that they've walked the walk um, in, in every facet, really, of their campaign to date. Yeah, no, I have to totally agree. And I think, I can't remember what game it was. I think it was the Canada game um, where I tweeted something along the lines of that game was the perfect example from a coaching and basketball perspective that you just keep the five on, whatever combination it is, yep. whether it's a combination that you know works in training or that you've drilled before or that you know they've played W, whatever the combination is on the day. It could be a completely random combination, but if that's the five that are working the best together in that game situation to win, you just leave them out there. Mm-hmm. So I was really happy that Sandy did that in I'm pretty sure it was the, in that particular game and didn't make the changes where she, you, know, you felt like, oh, look, you know, Kayla's normally the, our go-to and she normally plays this many minutes. I'd better give her court time. She sat. Yeah. And it wasn't because she was playing badly. It was just that other people were getting the job done. And I think, you know, as basketball fans and as, you know, if we're coaching whatever level or being a part of basketball at whatever level, that's what it come, has to come back to. It's not personal. It's business. Mm. And the business is winning. Absolutely. And that's what we're here to do. Yeah, and I think, <laughs> I think that's why there's now a tomorrow. There's a medal game tomorrow because... Um, there hasn't been egos. It's whatever has had to be the best thing for the team. And, um, and you know, there's been different games, different styles of basketball we've had to come up against, different combinations needed. And amongst, you know, all those players we talked about coming in, we didn't mention Lauren, but she's been one of those too. So I think, um, you know, it also then gives you a good platform that if a Beck Allen does unfortunately get injured and you don't know the timeline around when she's going to return and, and how much she might play, it's kind of no worries because you know a Sarah Blitzarves can come in or Darcy Garbin can come in or um, or whatever. So I've been really pleased with that too, yeah. And I hope as well that, um, you know, maybe young female fans, that we've seen a lot of young female yeah, fans we as well, which has been really awesome. Um, they might not be old enough to kind of clock on and think, oh, you look, LJ, we know she's the GOAT. She's been, you know, one of the, she's our best player for a long, long time. She's um, you spanned so many generations. 
And there will be times where she's only playing seven minutes, and that's okay because it's a perfect example of a role player. Her role yep. was to come on to give either someone some rest minutes, to hit some threes, to bash some bodies, and she came off, and that's her role, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that she has to be on 35 minutes a game, getting 25 shots a game. I hope that's a good example for young players when they go back home to their clubs or their domestic, even their domestic teams, thinking, if I just go out and play my role right, then yeah. I'm going to be doing yeah. the best of the team. Darcy Garbin, perfect example. The minutes that she's put on, I think, in that Serbia game, really impressive. Her defence has come a, a really a long way. She's also someone who knows when her, her shots when to be taken. She's not trying to do too much when she's on limited minutes. Um, but Sarah, Blissars last night... <laughs> Wait, what What did she have for breakfast that morning? Was that your tweet? Were you like, oh, whatever she had for breakfast that morning, that's what I want? Was that you that no, it wasn't that? me, but maybe I did tweet about having cereal for dinner last night, so maybe that's <laughs> maybe where you got confused. But I think, you know, her, her energy was fantastic last night because we needed a good start. Our starts have been, you know, a bit shaky. So last night was really good, particularly in a final. You want to get out there and um, sort of assert some dominance over, you know, a Belgium team that ultimately didn't have their best player. So um, Tolo did what Tolo does, but Sarah's energy, I thought, was huge. Um, and, and that's what she brings. And she's she's the sort of player that would feed off the crowd last night. So I think, you know, that was terrific. And um, she's ready to go. If she needs to start tonight, she will. Um, if, if they go with something else, if Beck's, you know, good to play, that's great. Um, but everyone's everyone's done that bit and it's not a cliche no no not at all not at all one thing i want to touch on and i'm sure you will have come across this megan we had a chance to speak to tolo and kayla just after tokyo and one of the things that came across very strongly when we spoke to them was the impact of tokyo and and what happened on them and You've obviously had an opportunity to talk to other players as well. I got the sense when we were talking to them that it was all unfinished business from their point of view. On To the players that you spoke to after Tokyo, was that the feeling that you got? Um, and do you think that what they're doing now is they're taking care of unfinished business? Yeah, I think um, Tokyo was a very draining experience for everyone involved. And, um, you know, we, we were never able to hit our straps there because, you know, life was sort of turned upside down in terms of um, the, the late change to the personnel, the team was picked, that kind of thing. I guess three or four players that I've, you know, had in my mind and my heart, I guess, while watching this tournament, and Jenna Hayes obviously front and centre because she's doing commentary and she's here. But I often think about Leilani Mitchell, Katie Ray Abzuri and Alana Smith, mm. who were part of that team. And they're not part of this team. They're all off doing different things. Leilani's had a baby. I haven't seen Katie Ray, but Katie Ray's sort of moved into the next phase of her life. Alana didn't make this team and was shattered, but she's off, you know, sort of doing, beginning her own comeback overseas. So, um, you know, I think they also had have had a part in getting to this point. And then there's the players that missed out. Jade Melbourne that's been driving up from Canberra pre-season to be here. Mm-hmm. Shyla Hill who um, didn't make the final 15 but 
has shown up here often and has had a really great attitude, been really impressed with her. And Maddie Rocci, who's um, preparing for a WNBL season but is providing you know, good constant support on social media. And there's others that, that didn't make it as well. But I think, um, and when we won our first game, I think against Marley, the, the girls got Jade Melbourne onto the court and, and gave her a hug, which was nice. But I've thought about them too, because I guess this didn't begin when Tokyo ended. So I'd just like to um, think of it all, you know, as something quite whole. Um, and... Um, yeah, I mean, it, Tokyo just seems seems a lifetime ago. It's hard, it's just so hard to believe that you know going into an Olympics, you just could never have imagined the lows and then the highs that have happened. Yeah. <laughs> really, since um, since then, it's it's been a huge fourteen months or so, and a huge personnel change as well between yeah Tokyo and now. Mm. I know I know that uh, some other teams here at the World Cup have also gone through personnel changes like you know on court and coaching staff but yep. for us um I'm pretty sure it was five opals from the Tokyo team aren't in this current team one for one reason or another I think at least two retirements. Um but it, it it's a lot considering the things happening off court that they and the cultural changes that needed to be re-established and cultivated and then plus new members in the team um that's a, that's a lot to deal with in a short period of time I think and but I think you're right I think if the work wasn't done you know over the last two two and a half years um having a consistent group having a consistent mm. squad people always involved in the program somehow I think that um process of recuperating in time for the world cup would have been heaps a lot harder mm. yeah <clears throat> and and on top of that I think the fact that you've got so much depth in terms of those players, you know, like you said, you know, Jade didn't make the squad and Charlotte didn't make the squad. And there's all these other players who didn't make the squad that, you know, t- says that there's this depth that we've got for the national team, which is in good stead for us going forward. And I think... If you look at that and if you look at the way that the, the team culture seems to be developing, um, it's looking good for the Opals for the next, you know, for the run-up to Paris for sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, I think so too. And um, one of the other things I'm curious about, me, and I, I, I want get, to get your feedback on this, is um, sidelined. Now, we, we had the guys from sidelined on on the pod a few weeks back. Now that the first few episodes are out, you know, obviously a lot of fans have watched it. What's your opinion on on the show and the content of the show and and the message it's getting out? Yeah, I think um, we've seen a huge um, evolution with content, haven't we, over the last... I know we were talking about this um, earlier in the week uh, with... Things like podcasts, social media, all the platforms that are available now, everyone can be a content creator. So I think we were talking about, we must have been talking about the coverage of when Australia won in 2006 and what that, I think that's what we were talking about, what what that would have looked like back then, which was probably the nightly news and the um, daily papers. So um, documentaries have uh, sports documentaries and basketball documentaries and um, we saw the Opals um, 
documentary be shown at the reunion, I think there's been a huge, it, it's a real moment for that. Mm. And it's another um, avenue to storytell and to get that story, those stories out to a wider audience because you know your fans, your supporters, your people, they're going to watch it, right? Or they're going to listen or they're going to read that and consume it. But to be able to have it on, you know, different platforms like SBS um, Viceland and being, being able to catch up and I think it's gone on to KO as well. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's not one of those things if you don't see it live, you can go and catch up and, and then you might watch it and you might share it. So, um, yeah, I think, and the timing of it as well, obviously running into a World Cup and then crazily enough, there'll be a WNBL season in a few weeks. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's it can only be a great thing. And, um, and yeah, again, I think we've seen that with the, the Opals um, documentary that, you know, has been had been done over a lot of months as well. And um, we, we talked earlier in, in this chat about um, making the most of a once-in-a-generation mm. tournament. And I guess, um, you know, the boomers saw the opportunity to have access all areas in a season that worked out, you know, to the script for them. And it's a bit like, you know, this tournament and the Opals doing their documentary, seeing the opportunity um, to put something together. And I think having the current team in that room on Wednesday, being able to watch it with the women that went before them was a really powerful moment. Yeah, and one of the women there being Nancy Hill, the OG Opal from the 1957 team. Yep. Um, I think I put out there today on social media a picture of me and Nancy and just very briefly saying she was in the very first Opals team from 1957 where the World Cup was in Brazil. They wore silk uniforms, I learned, at the reunion. They hadn't (laughs) trained together before they went to the tournament. They went there by boat and spent the time on the boat training. And so another OG Opal that was there, Anita, she said, oh, no, we did some training on the boat. That's how we got together. (laughs) Worlds apart from what our current Opals are privy to now. Um, And to think that, I think, I, I don't know, there's something special to me when especially the program, you know, the legacy of the Opals is really yep. important to me as a child and obviously carrying through now into adulthood, but knowing that the Opals legacy was rooted into something so, um, just so gutsy mm. and and the real Australian underdog blue-collar mentality yeah. where they just got on with it. Um, yeah. I think there's something special about that uh, that I, I totally agree. I think it's really important for current opals future opals to be reminded that that is your history and when you step out on the floor when you're walking around here as i'm going to call it our little feeble world cup village because (laughs) it is just like a village it's like we're living in the olympic village here there's athletes everywhere but when they're wearing their australian shirts going down the road to get a coffee they're still carrying that legacy with them Mm. so i think it's really important that everyone's always reminded of that yeah and look i grew up in ballarat in in regional victoria and when when i was growing up um robin ma and Alison Cook, who are from Ballarat, were, you know, playing in Oz 94 in Atlanta. And I didn't want to be an athlete. I, from eight years old, wanted to be a sports journalist. But because we had, we did have some amazing athletes from Ballarat on the global sports stage, but seeing them um, not only compete, but be successful and be strong, competitive women that, um, you know, just wanted to get the job done. That was completely inspirational because it didn't matter that you were from 
the country. You didn't have to be from the city. Um, they showed what was possible if you wanted something and you were prepared to work. So, you know, that's they're never lost on me either. Um, and, you know, I do see them a lot. I've interviewed them a lot. I've worked with them a lot. But to me, those two women are still, you know, heroes from my childhood. And just since you're talking about, you know, the same sort of thing growing up on and seeing seeing these women. And now that's happening and having the impression on a generation and a new generation I guess like something like Oz 94 did Mm, yeah for sure like even just at the reunion being able to go up to Rachel Spawn and say how much she meant to me growing up and the times there was sometimes I would play Sunday scrimmage and some of the old guys would say oh your game's a lot like Rachel Spawn no higher compliments ever been given to me (laughs) did you frame like you've got a Get that quote and frame it. Frame sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Unreal. That's, that's got to go on a T-shirt. Yeah, oh, for merch. Sure. Email signature. And uh, Emily McInerney, I think I feel like she's someone that I really admired as well because I like to be a defensive, a strong defensive player myself, and she was known for her uh, being a real bulldog in defence. Uh, and she's sometimes an unsung hero, I think, in the Opal squad. And going back today, I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure she won the Robin Maher Defensive Player of the Year about three to five times. Nine yep, times. Nine times. Nine. nine times she won that award. Wow. Um, and, yeah, so just little bits, having the opportunity to go up to them and go, mm. like, you know, that you, you were important in a lot of people's lives mm. growing up. This is how you affected me. I don't think that's ever lost when you get to do that face-to-face with the person giving it all the person receiving it. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it's the, the, the part of the legacy that needs to carry on. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think one of the other things that was really interesting, I mean, I knew it, but I, I don't think a lot of people actually realise how long the Opals have been the Opals. Mm. I mean, I, I know Tom Maher, like, named the squad, but it's like 1957. Most people don't know that we've had a national women's basketball team for that long, representing us on the world stage. And, you know, it, having it constantly reminded to people, especially now with that Opal's documentary, to get people to understand, you know, th- this is, is something that Australia has been right up at the pinnacle of the sport for so long. And, you know, the reality is we're not a... Or at, back then, we weren't a traditional basketball country, you know. And they've made it, they've gone overseas and they've built a legacy to the point where we have, we're fielding the teams that we field now, we're consistently seen as being in the top five basketball countries in women's basketball in the world. The, it, it continues to stun me that the, the knowledge out there of the team and of the game isn't bigger than it is at the moment yeah and I think it's interesting you know there was obviously so much elation and buzz when the boomers won their rose gold medal at Tokyo and I was just sort of giggling going (laughs) that's cute like (laughs) Opals did that in 1996 and pretty much have won a medal at every you know world championship and Olympics since yeah but um I think the and having you know reported on her comebacks from day dot the Lauren Jackson comeback story has really captured people's imagination mm. for so many reasons. And I think um, for people that might be um, half invested, you know, because 
apparently there's been footy finals going on in different codes um, around this time of year. But, um, you know, I've heard from a lot of people from Melbourne. I've been doing a lot of radio interviews with um, stations that, you know, wouldn't mention basketball unless there was any basketball, unless there was something, you know, shaking happening. Um, So I think that sort of really perked up people's interest going back to February and then it might have been a draw card that people wanted to see how she'd go and then they've kind of got hooked um, mm. and and sort of um, rediscovered a love for the Opals or, um, a, or f- you know, fallen for them for the first time. Um, and maybe this has served as a, you know, great reminder having the home, the home World Cup and you might get those people to they might come along to the WNBL in a few weeks or they might tune in and watch and and there goes the the cycle it begins again and they're locked in for the next tournament and the next season and yep. hopefully that's how it rolls yeah and that, and that, that's the the next thing we've got a WNBL season starting literally in weeks i mean it, it's it's non-stop now um, hopefully that a lot of the crowd that's been enthusiastic about what's been going on here will also translate into crowds for the WNBL and to help raise that and also the fact that you know the 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 leagues actually had the opportunity to get a great broadcast deal this this year as well which will see the the games being available to so many more people but there's still inertia right we've still got to get the word out okay and I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot now, Megan. Right? <laughs> okay. What, in in your opinion, what more can we do? I mean, we're all trying our best, but what more can we do to get the word out about the WNBL, about these amazing athletes that we get to see? We, I mean, we're lucky enough to get to see them week in, week out. Talk to them, interview them. What do we need to do to be able to try and introduce introduce them to so many other people? Um. I think everyone can make more noise. And like I said earlier, everyone is a content creator now. So that's, you know, us, like people that work in the media or work on media products. It's the League and Basketball Australia. And it doesn't have to be um, grand plans. It's like, well, you know, I've seen a lot of kids here with Maylee singlets Mm. and cheering when she comes on and, um, you know, watching Darcy the other night come on against Serbia I'm thinking oh damn why you have to go to Europe and same with Ezzy you know because they're let's be honest like there's quite a few players that are going to Europe from the WNBL this season like we can't ignore that that's what that's what's happening but um you've got Annalie Maley the youngest Opal will be playing for Bendigo as the reigning league MVP you've got Lauren Jackson going around for Southside you've got Tess and Kayla back at the Boomers going um for, for back-to-back titles and um, Christy Wallace will be joining them. And so there's a lot that are going to be in the WNBL. And, and I think um, we just need to keep telling the stories. And, and, it, and it can be in any little way, you know, Jacinda shared some great insights mm. and little gems today of um, different people and their stories. So I think we just need to keep making noise with whatever instruments we have. And that might be our own social media, our own platforms, our podcasts, our um, writing, our commentary. Um, and, and I put the clubs and the athletes and the league and BA in that too mm. because we've all got social media or a website. It's a blank canvas. 
let's do more. Let's make more noise. Like, let's tell the stories because people are hungry for them. Yeah, and even touching on before when we were talking about how much different content that's out there, you know, the sideline documentary, and, you know, like you said, everyone can be a content creator, especially creating that content where it shows a behind-the-scenes, it shows the athlete as a person rather than, you know, more than just how they, how they perform on the court. That kind of meaningful... Uh, meaningful content um, where it makes it more relatable and we get to see people more vulnerable and sharing struggles that everyday people might see and you think, oh, wow, athletes go through the same thing that, you know, me working down the road, doing whatever, also experience. I think making more meaningful content like that is a great way to keep people engaged in the sport and in the league but also be able to reach Mm. other people as well and I think it can be a really powerful tool to kind of get more people involved but... I'm glad that you said the players as well because something that I've noticed when I paid more attention uh, to, I guess, the um, Australian women's basketball landscape as a whole, you know, working in the alternative media space now for just 12 months and just posting whatever on socials, as you know, that I like to do, I don't see a lot of kind of like um, support from other players like of their own team or of each other. Um, so something that I want to try and instill, you know, after, you know, being, going to the women's forum and having a platform now where I can reach um, the young girls at my club or reach, you know, other female basketball fans from wherever through socials, something that I want to try and instill and I hope that the players start to instill is just being able to celebrate each other's achievements a lot more and being able to bring each other up and support each other because, for so long, women have been told that you've got to compete for things with other women, and that's no longer the case. We've got to get rid of those traditional gender ideas and gender norms and being competitive for, you know, there's space for everyone, and I would like the players as well to be able to celebrate each other's achievements a bit more. So, like you said, Maddie Rochi has been posting, mm. well done, Opals, watch tonight, this is how you can watch it. And considering she was just missed out on this current squad, I think that's really admirable she's doing that. But, yeah, even, you know, players during the WNBL season, they might post, oh, it's game day today. Okay, cool, but, like, you know, like, uh, where can we watch it? And yeah. how are you feeling? And what's your training session like? And, and your best friend just, you know, if you're under 16s playing in none awarding or whatever, your best friend just made a state team. Have you said congratulations to that yeah. friend? Have you done a friend post? Yeah. We need to start, like supporting each other and building each other up a little bit more i so agree with all of that and um i actually reached out to rochi when she first did a post ahead because you know i've spoken to her and she she was devastated she made the team but um like that's showing up like Mm. that's showing Mm. up shyla's showed up jade showed up like they will be hurting inside like they'll be devastated but I like you, Jacinta. I've seen that, and I've recognised that. Um, when I think it was the, um, I don't know if it was the Asia Cup last year. It might have been the Olympic qualifiers for the three and three. And I noticed, you know, there's been a few things like that where there's just radio silence, and especially when guys. I know a lot of you are on Instagram a lot during the day because you're sharing selfies or photos of your food. So <laughs> I think we can all, you know, I think we can all do better with that. And, you know, I've tried to share um, some content on the other countries here too. Um, and just, you know, from pe- I don't have a huge following, but 
I must say they do let me know what they like and what they want to see more of. Mm. Um, so I've tried to show a bit, you know, and not just be completely Australian focused because I know people are excited that there's other countries and great players here and they want a piece of that action too. So, yeah, I think I think you're spot on. And there's, you know, let's share that content with, you know, an eye to the WNBL. If, um, if there's a great highlight, like you, you, you don't have to, it's not like you can't share it because it's someone from another team. You know, so I'd like to see more of that. You know, bloopers, like all little content things. You know, I think there's players around the league that do a great job and do little, you know, day in the life in or here's, you know, my game day or, or whatever. And um, I'd like to see more of that because we've got some great personalities. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'd like to um, to encourage everyone to... Yeah, just share because people people are interested and they want to see it. And, yeah, let's just get behind. And, and I think, too, you know, I found that, um, you know, talking about um, the support before and KO obviously had been broadcasting um, or streaming our games for a few years and earlier this or in January this year uh, sort of came to me and said, oh, we want, we, we're going to sponsor a um, full-page weekly WNBL column. And, and I was right because that, you know, they were walking the walk on that. Like, mm. they wanted to add value content to that. And, you know, to get a full page every week. And I was like, I can't believe this. Like, I just get to write a few bits and pieces on, on WNBL. And I sort of said, you know, it was very well, like, received and shared and Jacinta would, you know, share it every week and get behind it. But I just say to a few people, like... I see you guys constantly complain about the lack of media coverage and I get it, but you need to support the people that are covering the game because if something like that doesn't get clicks, it won't be back because then they can say, well, Megan, it it wasn't getting traction, so we can't invest there. Yeah, and I think that's part of that's that's the other part of it that it kind of rubs me up the wrong way as well. It's the the same time it's the same people and, and a lot of athletes saying we want to be treated the same as the men, we want the same opportunity, the same pay, the same exposure. We all want that for you too. Absolutely. But you have to show us mm. in a sense of like you you're, you have the power to help with that exposure and to help boost your profile and show the value in your talent and the league and stuff, but you don't do it so i don't know if there's a disconnect in between like you know you might have to harbor part of the responsibility of this and be an advocate for yourself and the league um if you want this change to happen uh, it's not just going to be we can't just expect someone to come and rescue us and put us you know on the pinnacle next to the nbl and the nbl blitz you know after larry kesselman you know the whole thing got mm. bought out we can't expect someone just to come and save us in the same way. Sometimes we're going to have to get our hands dirty and advocate for ourselves too, especially being a women's sport. So I totally get... And it's just really a shame to hear um, that you weren't, you weren't receiving that support as much as I feel like you could have, um, especially from the people on the ground who are like, we need more media coverage. And you're like, here it yeah. is. And yeah. Like, oh, you know, Lauren Jackson was on Sunrise the other day. So when that social clip's out there, can we, can we all share that? Yeah, you know, so so we're we're not just making news for game results, but we're you know go to for all these different spots. And maybe it's a shift in attitude of like this story on Lauren on Sunrise isn't about Lauren. It's Lauren is representing the Opals and women's basketball and Australians women's basketball. Yep. It's for the wider good, and that's why we need to kind of share it a bit, a little bit more. We need to look past mm. the, yeah. the immediate kind of thing. And I've got to ask a question here. 
where is where's the Australian Opal's Twitter? Oh, yeah, they don't have a Twitter, do they? They do. They have a handle, but they're just oh. dormant. I don't think anyone looks yeah. after it. Um, you know, the, the Instagram is good um, and has been good. Um, do, I don't think they have a Facebook page. Look, I'm not really across the... I know that there's, they're all sort of different demographics too. Like Facebook, I think, is kind of more an older audience or approach yeah, does. But, but there's, a lot of, there's a lot of basketball associations on Facebook. There's, a lot, yeah. there's actually a lot of... But I suppose my point on this is there's a lot of... I, I, I keep an eye on it. There's a lot of activity on, on Twitter... Uh, going back and forth during the games, before and after. But I'm not seeing anything coming out of the 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 Opal's account. And it's like, this is such an opportunity. You know, even if, you know, it had been let go for a long time, this is the opportunity to be able to relaunch it and get people to engage with it. And, get, and it's, to me, this comes back to what you were saying about we need to get that engagement happening, but it's also it's got to be a two-way street. Mm. You've got to want to engage so that people will engage mm. with you. Yeah, and I wonder too because um, you know you look at the boomers Instagram, but then I'm not sure if they're on Twitter either. So it's like you know, mm. does, does that become a like boomers and opals are a national team? That's a national team strategy for social media rather than is it a BA thing or is it? You know, maybe it's because yeah, I know they're on Instagram and they're mm. great on there, but I'm not sure if they're on Twitter. I don't think they are on Twitter either, actually, because I think there's times I've tried to tag them in <laughs> something, and then it wasn't coming up. They are, they yes, are, they but are. I think that account. Yeah, I don't think that account is active. I think both the, the Opals the and Oz, Oz Boomers. So Oz, there's the yeah. Oz Opals ah, and the Oz Boomers. Yeah. But, Time for a relaunch. Yeah. It's, Relaunch it. Let's get it happening. Someone's forgotten the login. That's what oh, happened yeah. there. I can't remember <laughs> no, my honestly. password. I can't remember my email login. And yeah. then, oh, I'll just leave it. But the boomers as well, their social media content going into Tokyo was awesome. Yeah. But then they had the advantage of hiring someone specifically to travel yes. with the team. And their sole yeah. job was to take that co- beautiful yeah. content. Um, and it's the same guy that covers a lot of Patty Mills stuff. Yes, yeah. Um, but that was his job was to film all that behind-the-scenes stuff, to film the on-court stuff, to make us feel like we were there and to, to build the hype towards the Tokyo Games. But um, there's no one on the Opal's socials. I mean, even Instagram, they post, you know, the casual, you know, the game results and stuff, but nothing, not a lot of other kind of meaningful content, I don't think. Yeah, because in an ideal world, it would be nice if, you know, I don't know, say there was someone that was... Um, sort of assigned to both those accounts or, you know, one of the national teams each because the content goes beyond a major tournament. It would be nice yeah. to follow, you know, going into the next six months, the WNBL campaigns, the Europe campaigns, WNBA, you know. So when Ezzy makes the WNBA um, defensive, all-defensive second team, mm. that gets a good run on all the Opals content or, um, you know, Jock Landale, you know, is done this and let's make sure so you know you're covering those athletes all year round I think that helps the connection because then people might start following oh I'm gonna watch Beck Allen play um in Spain and oh Darcy's gone over there I'm gonna you know there's so many ways to be able to follow everyone now so that would be nice to have that year round connection yeah and I think 
I think if they can turn around and start doing that and also tell stories about previous players. Because I think one of the things that I've noticed is a lot of the young, younger, younger kids playing basketball actually don't know the history of the clubs or the national teams. And so as a result, there's, there's all these great stories that nobody knows about that actually help people engage with the, with, with the teams. And it's lost. And it needs to, somehow it's got to get recorded. And, you know, there's nothing better. Just that short tweet you put out, 1957, we practiced on a boat. Mm. That's going to get people going, wow, they practiced on a boat. We had a team in 1957. That's all it takes. It's, it's just the little bit of, oh, I want to learn more about that. Oh, what else is coming in? Okay, VA, if you're listening, guys, this is a great opportunity. Jump on it. Jump on it now. <laughs> Look, we'll help you out. Call us up. Yeah. I mean, we're already doing half of the, t- the load anyway. <laughs> Just give us, if you can remember your email login to your Twitter account. Yeah, that that's always start. hard. That's always hard if it gets hacked and someone's suddenly selling Ray-Bans and <laughs> goes downhill very quick. I'm still waiting yeah. for my Ray-Bans from someone who I met six years ago on Facebook. Like, are they, when are they are arriving? They coming? Are they arriving? Yeah. <laughs> At Australia Post. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just before we wrap it up, I just want to get your, your input into something. A great indicator for me is uh, about how people are engaging is looking at the lines at the merchandise stand. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. It has been spectacular. I have seen such massive lines here at the World Cup for people lining up to get merchandise. I think if that's an indicator, I think you know we're in the right trajectory. The other thing is um, looking at the merchandise. It's been really good quality merchandise as well. What do you guys think? You think it's a good indicator? Oh yeah, for sure. I have look. I haven't been down there much, um, and when I have, it's not been when it's peak hour yeah. or game time. Um, but yeah, I just think in all facets, like in at games, online not just for Opals, but WNBL, um, you know, I know just until like we had Indigenous round and you obviously ordered some singlets and um, we had the mental health round and those t-shirts, things like that. Like people will buy that stuff. They want that stuff. They want to support it. They want to wear it. So I know that there's a lot of things in terms of like manufacturing and like, you know, getting enough orders and look, I'm no expert in all that. So I don't want to criticize it because I don't know how that all works but if we can pre-plan I guess maybe and get across that I think you're never gonna be left with boxes and boxes of merch so I'd love to see us just as a basketball community and fraternity have you know as much merchandise as possible available yeah totally and I know that at the women's forum they did mention that the estimated merchandise sales were one thing but then the outcome the actual merchandise sales at the tournament has just ex- totally exceeded their expectations. Yeah. Like, they're still waiting for more orders to come in day by day that they, they weren't expecting to be so overwhelmed by d- the demand of the merchandise. Um, I'd really like my hands on one of those First Nations jerseys, but I think I'll have to wait to order it online. Um, so that's been really positive, and the variety of the merchandise that they've yep. had here I've been impressed with. I'm often on here when we talk about merchandise whinging about, I just want a key ring. 
Yeah. It's a key ring. It doesn't take up space. Yeah, that's true. It can carry it with me every day. I'm always going to have keys. And so they had key rings here. So I thought, oh, mm. I better buy one then. Um, <laughs> so, but just having small things like that. Sometimes yep. for me, I don't want to collect lots and lots of clothing because you know sustainability and all that but the Mm. things like you mentioned the indigenous around jerseys the mental health around Mm. warm-up tops those are the things that us hardcore fans we we do want so i would love it if um the wnbl or ba can be more proactive in a way of saying let's plan what our rounds are going to be let's plan what our warm-up tops are going to be let's have a pre-order option then we're only going to sell and buy like you were only going to have to make and sell the amount that's pre-ordered. Yeah, I know with the mental health around last year, uh, last season, I wanted to wear one of the T-shirts on broadcast because it's on TV and I'm the only person as part of the commentary team at the venue. And it was so hard to get hold of one because the clubs had only been given like the amount that they needed and I was able to wrangle one from a club, luckily. But um, yeah, I remember we had an orange round. I'm sorry that I don't remember the cause, but it was a few years ago and, you know, there were heaps of polos. Like, it was just like, yeah, well, you know, you guys would wear them. So, like, I think that's that's a visibility thing too. Like, so I know just from my perspective it was hard to get one of those, but I'm sure if you had a stall set up at the, those games mm. and, you know, T-shirts are, I don't know, 20, 25 bucks and whatever um, percentage goes to Lifeline or something, like, there won't be any left. No, yeah. for sure, especially if it's in partnership with uh, an, an NGO or a CMO or something like that. I think with the mental health round, you know, for the last season, we made some noise on social media. Yeah. Where can we get one of those shirts? I'm willing to pay. Is the profit going to go to someone? Mm. There wasn't a lot of, I don't think I received any direct feedback, but all of a sudden, oh, hey, actually, because we've there's demand, you can buy the shirts now online, which was yeah. great. But I would love to see that little bit of extra mile where it is in partnership with a lifeline, especially now, two and a half years after the COVID pandemic, me being a mental health clinician, knowing the aftermath effect of COVID that is still happening to a lot of people, either with existing mental health issues and mental illness or those now developing after the social circumstances that COVID has left us in. Mm. Now more than ever, things like Lifeline is super important. So if we can develop that partnership, it's going to be way more engaging for people um, and way more better for fans if we can do something like that. But it's just an overall personal growth of the league as well. And just planning those rounds, because I know last season, I think there were sort of five charities that were involved, Um, obviously Previously, we'd been exclusively involved with Lifeline because of Jenna O'Hay's personal connection, and she created that round. Um, and I know she she wasn't aware of what was happening until it was sort of put out on socials, and that that was very upsetting and, and very disrespectful. So I think even with Indigenous round, let's you know announce those dates at the start of the season and yep. have a build in rather than just dropping it the week of and, and scrambling for content and. You know, they're important causes and they deserve to be treated accordingly and they will be supported even more so. Absolutely. Megan, it's been great having you on the show. Our 100th podcast, live from the Women's World Cup. Thank you so much for joining us, Jacinta. Always great having you on. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening in and we'll be back next week.